Please turn with me to Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104. And as you're turning there, I'll just say, I've been trying to think of a way to like, sum up 2016. Man, what a, what a weird year. It was a, it was a, it was a sad year. Was a, a lot of hard things happened in 2016. Um, for me personally, I had, I had a son, so that's awesome. And, and the Cubs won the World Series. So uh, I'll look back on 2016 with fondness, but uh, hey, let's all agree, 2017, glad you're here. Uh, so uh, 2017 is, is significant because, well, like Robert mentioned earlier, we're, God's building us a new church, so uh, that's, that's pretty cool, right? And uh, it's also the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, have Americans ever celebrated anything that was 500 years old? I don't know, but... Uh, this, this is exciting because 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed those theses to the door. 90, 95 theses which changed the world, it changed the church, because before that, you, you couldn't read the Bible. Unless, unless you knew Latin, unless you were a Catholic priest, you couldn't read the Bible. You had to trust that whatever they were saying was, was right and true. And, and that led a lot of people astray, but... But now, because of the Reformation, we can read the Bible in, in, in thousands of different languages and formats, and, uh, and I, I hope that we don't take that for granted. I hope that we don't treat God's Word as if it's just another book. Um, I hope also that we learn to, in fact, love God's Word. That we don't treat it like it's a textbook, like it's just trivia, like it's just something that, like facts that we, that we should know, but that it's something to love, because we love the God who gave us His Word. Um, if, if we don't love God's Word, but if we, if we just kind of know it, like it's trivia, then there will always be a gap, a big gap between what we know of God's Word and how far we're willing to go to live according to God's Word. How do we, as, as James 1.22 puts it, how do we keep from being just hearers of God's Word and are actually doers of God's Word? Let's look at Psalm 119, 97-104 uh, for a greater understanding of that. King David, the psalmist, writes, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way, in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Pray with me. Father, I pray that uh, as we look at your word, that you would develop within us a love for your word, uh, and that ultimately this would lead to a greater love for you, our treasure, 
I pray that you would be with me, that my words would be your words, uh, that we would um, see you as see Christ as more beautiful this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So David opens up with this great big kind of declarative statement. He's like, I am all about God's word. And I, I, want, I want to know God's word. I want to talk about God's word and think about God's word 24-7, 365. It, it, is, it captured his heart. It captured his mind. It shaped the way he lived his life. Um, even though David is king, even though there is, there is really no authority greater than him, at least on earth in his neck of the woods, David longs to submit himself to the authority of the God of heaven. He can't get enough of it. And, and again, it's because it leads him into a deeper relationship with God himself. It is his greatest treasure. He, he loves, he delights in God's word. Now, this is not a fleeting love. It's not like a high school crush. It's not like a very strong preference, like I love the Cubs, or I love tacos, or something like that. It's, it's a drivenness. It's a, it's a desire. It's a deep-seated pursuit of that which we think will lead us to the greatest flourishing possible, which is God. This is so much more than knowing God or knowing God's Word in an intellectual way, like knowing trivia about God's Word. David, as king of Israel, would actually be required to write down or copy for himself the law, which in his day would have been mostly the, the Pentateuch. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, 18-20 says of the king, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So David literally had the scriptures with him day and night. Now, this is not something that was common. Most people did not have their own copy of the law, but the king did. And so presumably, not just King David, but, but all of the rest of the kings of Israel at least were supposed to have their own copy of the law. Not sure that all of them actually cared to do that. Um, but it kind of shows us that there's a big difference between just being able to read God's Word and knowing the facts of God's Word versus actually having a love for God's Word. Because if you look at the kings of Israel, you go through Kings and Chronicles, there's a whole lot of this, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he, he worshipped the Baals, and he worshipped all these other gods, and he was, didn't ever repent, and an unrepentant sinner. These are a lot of the kings of both Israel and Judah. You hear them described that way. So it wasn't an issue of did they know God's Word? It was an issue of did they love God's Word? They were hearers of the Word, sure, but they, they weren't doers of the Word. And, as James would say, they deceived themselves. David, we know, was a big sinner, but he was also a big repenter. Apparently that's not a word. I just made it up. But 
He's a repenter. He delighted in God's Word. And so when he sinned, he always went back to God's Word and back to, ultimately, to God. Because he loved God. So should we know God's Word? Absolutely, but not like it's some kind of textbook. Not like it's something that's going to help us win at trivia. We need a love for God's Word that drives us to meditate on God's Word, to want to chew on it, to roll it around in our heads and in our hearts so that it will change us gradually so that we become the kind of people who delight in being doers of God's Word. Now, just as an aside, I want to be clear that, again, I'm not saying that we need to be worshipers of the Bible. Like, that's that's kind of a common thing uh, in, in some churchy circles that we, that we talk and love the Bible so much that we seem like we're worshipers of it. But Jesus, uh, he confronted the Pharisees on this very thing in John 5, 39 through 40, where he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus is saying, Don't just read and and love the words on these pages. They need to direct you to the God who gave you the words on those pages so that he is your treasure. Uh, Sam Albury, I think, captures this in in this quote. He says, We will love Scripture when we love God. And when we love God, we will certainly read Scripture. And with that attitude, we will find that we increasingly love God because we read Scripture. It becomes a virtuous cycle. So what do you love? What drives you? What captures your heart? What captures your your life pursuits? Maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but maybe maybe you know God's Word, you know stuff about it, maybe you mostly try to live your life by its principles, but maybe you don't really have a love for God's Word. Maybe you don't have this desire like David did to meditate on it day and night. Maybe you go weeks or even months without reading it. Well, it's possible. I know it's been true in my life a lot of times. It's possible there's a big gap between what you know of God's Word and what you you practice from God's Word. And it probably means there's something else that's that's competing, that's driving you, that, that may be a stronger passion than a love for God and His Word. So that's something we need to think about. What? What besides God do we think is going to lead us to the greatest possible flourishing? There's always something competing with that desire for God that we may have. It's, uh, take the rich young man from Matthew 19. He, he gets picked on all the time, I feel like. He's, he's like always a sermon illustration, but it's so important that we understand what's going on with him. Because he asks Jesus, Jesus, he says, what must I do? What good deed must I do? to gain eternal life. And Jesus is like, well, man, you know, talks about why are you, why are you talking about being good? There's only one, one dude who's good. That's me. And he says, but go sell your possessions, follow me, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And you know what it says. In, in verse 22, it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he treasured his wealth. He treasured his good works. Maybe you could kind of lump those two things together and say that he treasured his, his very own personal pursuit of his own glory. And Jesus confronts him with this, this contrast 
he contrasts what, what the young man loves and what God says he should love. And, and he, look, the Messiah is standing there saying, if you want eternal life, you need to love me. The Messiah is telling him that face to face. But he turns away. He doesn't want to follow Jesus. He turns away because what Jesus says is at odds with what he loves. We, if we only know God's Word, but we don't love it, we will cast it aside when it is at odds with whatever our real driving love is. So if we're, if we're faced with giving and being, and being generous, we, we know it says in God's Word that God loves a cheerful giver, but if we love our wealth then when we're faced with that decision, we're going to cast that Bible verse aside because we don't love it as much as we love our wealth. Or uh, one, one thing that I struggle with is, is conflict. I love to avoid conflict. Um, I'm trying to work on that. But it's, it's real easy to, to, in those moments where we know we need to go to our brother with, our, with, with this, a way that they've sinned against us and, and talk to them about it, uh, it's real easy for me and maybe for you too, to just say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just let the hurt feelings fester. I'll bury them deep down inside. We're not going to worry about that. And uh, hey, everything's fine. Yeah. Now you don't trust me. Man. I'm working on it. I promise. I promise. Um, to love God's word is to let it inform and shape and drive everything we think and say and do. Everything. We submit to the authority of God's Word so that keeping His commandments becomes habitual to us, like a, almost like a second nature. So that love for God and His Word becomes evident in the way we live every single day. And so that ought to lead to some natural, kind of just natural consequences of, of loving God's Word. Um, you might call it as you know, general revelation, just, just the idea of if we follow what God has told us in his word, we're going to naturally have more wisdom from knowing his word because he's the creator of the universe. He wrote the manual on how the universe works. We go by the manual, we should know more about his world. So at first glance, when we look at this section, verses 98 through 100, it seems like David's kind of bragging about this, right? He's like, man, I know more stuff than all my enemies, and I know more stuff than all my teachers and all the old people. He's like, man, I'm awesome. That's really not what he's saying, though. He's, this is not a look at me thing, I don't think. Because, for one, we read in Deuteronomy 17, if he truly is the kind of king that God wants him to be, he won't be lifted up above his brothers. He'll have a, a humble heart. He won't be an arrogant king. He'll be a humble king. Um, and if, he, if he's loving and meditating on God's Word, then th this really isn't about arrogance. It's about thankfulness. He's looking around and saying, well, I'm so thankful that God, through His Word, has developed in me wisdom. And it's, it's more wisdom than these other people have because they don't know God's Word. They reject God's Word. As uh, Kevin DeYoung says, as the people of God, we believe the Word of God can be trusted in every way 
to speak what is true, command what is right, and provide us with what is good. As I said before, we know the king of the universe. We have the word that he has given us about how the universe works, about how he has designed things, and if we are in tune with it, in touch with him, we're going to have a godly wisdom that you cannot get apart from his word. And so the hope is that those who don't have godly wisdom will notice this in the lives of believers. Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6, uh, God says, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. There are so many in our world who live and walk in darkness every single day and they don't know it. They don't even know it. Because they don't know God's Word, they don't love God's Word, they don't love God. But, a little bit later on, in Psalm 119, David describes God's Word as a light unto his feet and a lamp unto his path. God's truths light the way for His people to walk with Him. But, also to be seen by those who live in the darkness. In this post-truth society that we've heard about a couple times now, um, it is wise to believe anything as long as you don't call it truth. If I sincerely believe that there are unicorns and that they are real, and if I decide I want to start a club like a I believe in unicorns club and get you to join my club, man, you can't tell me I'm wrong. This society, if you tell me I'm wrong, you are offending me even though what I believe is probably not true. I don't know. It could be. I like unicorns. But it sounds harmless. Sure, let me believe in unicorns. That's fine, you know? It sounds harmless. But let me ask you this. Who draws the line between what is harmless and what is harmful? Because there are some things that we could believe that aren't necessarily true, but if you let me believe them, it's going to be harmful for other people. Like if I believe that it's good to serve chlorine to people to drink, okay, that's, that's not harmless. So who draws the line between what is harmful and what is harmless, what is truth and what is not truth? If, if it's not God, if it's some kind of human or human institution that's drawing that truth line, then it's the blind leading the blind, and we're in trouble. Our world needs the wisdom, the truth, the light of the Word of God, of Jesus Christ, who shines out the darkness. And so it's not arrogance for a lover of God to believe that in the Word he possesses greater wisdom than a non-believer. It's not arrogance, it's a matter of life and death. We as believers have a responsibility to let the revealing light of Christ shine through us. Non-believers in your life, they need to see in you and in the way you live your life by the Word of God that if they are missing out on Jesus Christ, they are missing out on the greatest treasure in all the world. There are also, aside from the godly wisdom, the natural benefits of knowing God's Word and loving God's Word, 
There's also, of course, spiritual benefits to this. Many. In verses 101 through 104, David kind of introduces this cyclical pattern of, of spiritual growth that we get from loving God's Word and meditating on it day and night. He starts off in 101 talking about how he keeps his feet from the paths of evil. He wants to, to not even start to walk down whatever evil path he sees. Why? Because he wants to keep God's Word. David's desire to keep God's Word is stronger than any desire he may have for whatever lies down those pathways of evil. Thinking in your head that sin is bad is one thing. It's good. We should think sin is bad. But then actively turning down temptation, saying no to your sin is, is a whole different thing. It's, apply, it's applying that thing that you think to your life. So we, we have to act on those promises of God. We have to experience that yes, in fact, it really is a greater pleasure for us to say yes to Jesus and to say no to our sin. And then in 102, he says, I do not turn aside from your rules because you have taught me. So again, we see Another spiritual progression. It's a progression of hearing, of knowing God's Word, and then testing God's Word, acting on it. And we see when we act on it that, we, that He is faithful, always. He is always faithful. So we believe more. We, have, we grow in our faith when we see that God is faithful. Because our faith doesn't depend on us, it depends on Him. And so we grow to desire God's Word more. And then as we desire God's word more, we want to act on it more to see more of his faithfulness. That's the cycle. That's the the cycle he's talking about, the spiritual progression. Yes, we will still struggle with a desire for sin. He's not saying that we won't encounter this struggle with sin at all. As you know from David's life, he was a big sinner even late in his life. But when you compare him, like especially compare him to Saul, you know, David, when he, when he sinned, eventually he always came back to d- this devastation of how he hurt or how he offended God and rebelled in, against God because he treasured God. Whereas with Saul, he kind of just slipped, when he, when he was confronted with his sin, he would just slip further and further into this delusion and denial about what was really true, what was really right. W.S. Plummer says that there is no delusion like the folly of believing that a course of sin will conduce to our happiness. But we believe this stuff every single day. But the hope, the hope is that the more we love and the more we walk with Jesus, the more we will no longer pursue the delusion of sin. And the more our sin will seem delusional to us. So living out God's Word brings a spiritual benefit of knowing and loving God more, of seeing that He is faithful, of trusting Him in obedience, or as you, as you repent and see and taste His mercy and His forgiveness. This is how the Word gets sweet. This is how the Word grows to be sweeter to us than honey, which is what David talks about. It's what Calvin talks about in this quote. It says, It is possible that a man may be affected with reverence towards the law of God, but no one will cheerfully follow it, save he who has tasted its sweetness.
tasting the sweetness of God's Word, acting on it, even when it seems inconvenient, even when it seems to be at odds with something else that we might love. That's how we hide God's Word in our hearts. That's how we make obedience of it more and more habitual. That's how we develop a greater love for God and a hatred, as David says in verse 104, a hatred of every false way. It's not just like a, no, no thank you, sin. Not this time. It's a hatred of our sin. It is a, it's almost, you get the sense that David is saying that your love for God's word and your hatred for sin need to be about the same in their passion. As Plummer says again, God teaches us and we obey. We obey and He teaches us more. We learn a little and practice that. Thus we are prepared to learn and practice more. Again, that's this cycle that we see of the spiritual progression of growth as we love and delight in God's Word. So let's, let's close and get a little bit more practical. What if, what if you don't have this love for God's Word? What if it is not sweeter than honey to you? What if it's more like bran flakes or broccoli? Maybe you like broccoli. I hate broccoli. If, that's, if you like broccoli, then think of something else. But the question really ultimately is, do you love God? You will never, you will never love God's Word if you don't love God. But the Holy Spirit is in the business of changing hearts. The Holy Spirit causes even the greatest of sinners, to find Jesus Christ to be their treasure. Look to Jesus as your treasure. Look to Him for salvation. He will change. He can change and direct and shape your desires toward Him so that they are more like His desires and then He will give you more of those desires. He can do it. So what if you what if then you do consider yourself to be a Christian already, but you still don't have this desire for God's Word? You don't find it to be very sweet. Well, one of the things I think we're dealing with are wrong expectations. You know, we, li- we live in this culture where we have this weird idea that love is like a magic spell. You know, like we, we, talk, we talk about falling in and out of love as if it's something we just have no control over. You know, I... I was in love, but then I stopped being in love, and I don't know what happened, it just happened. And this is a dangerous belief. It's, it's a wrong belief, and it's a dangerous belief because it has a lot of side effects. A couple of them. One, when you, when you, when you translate love into, into our spiritual lives, we kind of have this expectation that, that God's just going to cast a, a love spell on us, and we're just going to automatically be like, oh, I love God and His Word as much as I ever could. I, don't, I just don't think that's how it works. I think David's a great example of how it, it's a gradual growth and not just this spell that comes over us. But then the other side effect is we kind of feel like love and hard work or um, routine or habit, that these are two things that cannot have anything to do with each other. They, like we think we have no ability to train and develop our loves and our desires. And and it is true that unless God makes you alive, brings you from death to life, that you will not desire Him. 
And you don't control that. You have nothing to do with that. It is a work 100% of, of God. But we'd also, when that happens, we also don't start off as a perfectly sanctified and mature Christian with perfect loves and desires for the Word and for God. We can and we must grow in our desire for God's Word. We must, as 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train ourselves for godliness. And to do that, we first need to taste and see that God is good. Make it a practice to test Him on what He says in His Word. You don't have to worry about Him failing the test. He is always faithful. Don't just think that God is good. Seek it out. Pray for for God to give you the desire to desire His Word more and to see His goodness in action. And then taste it for yourself. Don't fear routine and, and repetition and work as you study and, and meditate on the scripture, sometimes it, it's, it is work. It's spiritual training that is, is more beneficial to us than any physical training. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it automatically has to be just some drudgerous duty. It can be a delight. As James K.A. Smith says, we learn to love then not primarily by acquiring information about what we should love, but rather through practices that form the habits of how we love. Practices like meditating on God's Word day and night. This is what David says he does. Does he love it because he meditates on it? Does he meditate on it because he loves it? I think it's both. The more meditation, the more love we have for God's Word, the more love we have for God's Word, the more we want to meditate on it, etc., etc., etc. So, don't be afraid to, to dig in and do the hard work of getting after it with God's Word. Of, as Luther says, he says, pause at every verse of Scripture and shake, as it were, every branch of it, that if possible, some fruit at least may drop down. And then finally, if you must, I mean, we talked about some of the things that compete with our desires for, God's love, for, for the love of God's Word. We need to be active about removing those things from us if they're competing with that desire. of our. Uh, uh, if it's something that we find that we treasure as much or more than Jesus Christ, then we need to be actively trying to cut that out of our lives. 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He didn't want to convey anything as as a treasure to the Corinthians other than Christ and Him crucified. And I don't know what you think is more valuable, a more valuable treasure than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that, that Jesus tasted the bitterness of death on the cross so that we could have the sweetness of eternal life with Him and the sweetness of walking with Him in this life. And as I survey my heart, I am so baffled sometimes by the things that I desire more than Christ and His gospel. It's, it's kind of insane when you think about it. There is, I mean, I, I know that we are very busy. I know that it is a challenge to get into this, to some of these habits. I know it's a challenge to sign up for a Bible study or a small group and 
and commit to going to it every week or reading through the Bible throughout the year, but God has given us the words of eternal life. This This word has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. We can't get that anywhere else but the Bible. It is a treasure of infinite value. It's truly sweeter than all the honey in the world or whatever you find sweet. But our desire for it, we have an opportunity to train ourselves for godliness, to train ourselves to taste its sweetness more and more, to taste its sweetness for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and that in your word we know everything we need to know for salvation, for how to be a disciple of Christ. And I pray, Father, that in 2017 and throughout the rest of our lives that we would make it a habit of daily going to your word and tasting the sweetness that is your word because we find Jesus Christ to be our treasure. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.